all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? <laughs> I'm Rachel. I'm tired. I mean, I'm David. <laughs> and this is All Bad Things, another early morning edition. Yes. <laughs> After a, a night shift for you. Yes. So I appreciate you hanging in. <laughs> no problem. The, uh, a, the coffee's somewhat doing the trick. <laughs> we had a nice big breakfast. Yes. And some coffee. So, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. Follow us, Insta, Twitter, Facebook, at All Bad Things Pod. Also, you can email us at allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Somebody messaged me yesterday like, I couldn't figure out your email address. And I was like, oh, I probably said on whatever episode they were listening to um, just the Facebook and Twitter uh, and Instagram yes. and not our actual Gmail. So <clears throat> um, so that that is that. Um, any housekeeping probably not because we literally like just recorded 48 hours ago pretty much yeah yeah still trying to work ahead a little bit yes um well you are you're going away for the next couple of days i am by the time this comes out i'll be back but i'm i'm going back down well hopefully i'll be back or you never know with older people sometimes i was going back to miami helping out uh, my grandparents a little bit um my, I'm going with my mom, and <clears throat> she, sorry, she wisely always gets trip insurance on these trips because she has had to extend her stays a couple sure. of times because of issues that come up. Um, I actually have four grandparents in Miami, my mom's uh, parents and their spouses, so, and they're all now past 80. Yeah. So. Yeah, a lot to deal with. But, um, oh, something fun. Well, sort of, uh, yeah. Uh, Netflix recommendation. I have been binging this awesome show called Diagnosis, which is kind of like, I know we have a lot of um, murderinos and true crime fans who listen to this too, because it's kind of in the same vein, right? This is sort of like medical disasters meets true crime. This show called Diagnosis on Netflix very interesting medical mysteries and stuff. I and it's inspired a, p- a possible topic for one of our episodes. So we're still waiting for your sponsorship, Netflix. <laughs> Anytime <laughs> to save us the whatever we spend on you a month, ten dollars or whatever. It oh, is. I think it's like fifteen because we fifteen now. Well, because we share with your. Sister and my sister. Yeah, we are the people who other people use the password. That is true. (laughs) That is true. But considering we get um, HBO, uh, thanks Abby. Yes. (laughs) Without having to put anything out. Yeah, it works out. Yeah. Um, What goes around comes around, I guess. So this week's episode um, was suggested by and researched by our friend Masha. Who did the research for the Love Parade? I was going to say, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, yep. Which is keep them coming, Masha. Oh, she is. She's still she's still <laughs> researching more. It's amazing. She's she's awesome. Um, and another you, thank you. You to, can use our Netflix account too. <laughs> it may not work in Germany. Remember, you know, oh yeah, that's like true. Different well, we'll see. We'll, we'll send we'll send her the password either way. <laughs> um, 
So special thanks to all of our listeners who, first of all, for suggesting topics. That's awesome. Absolutely. And then anyone who goes the extra mile and does research, like that's also that's really, awesome. really awesome. Um, Stephen researched last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is very much in a similar vein to last week's episode, which was really interesting and historic. Like there was a lot of history involved in it. And, yes. And... Um, this is very similar in, in that respect. Um, I, I'm struggling with figuring out what to call this episode because there's like a couple different tacks to take. Okay. Um, should I go a little more sensational or a little more technical? Yeah, sensational. Okay. Well, then <laughs> I hope Masha approves the, this title, titling. This is the story of the lost city of Rungholt. Okay. <laughs> Sounds That's awesome. A, yeah. It's it's a but it's Sounds a, like fun. It's a little over dramatic and it's a misnomer, but it's it, it does, right? It sounds like something that was in a Thor movie. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, oh, sorry. Forgot my sticky note. Um, real quick correction corner. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Our from last week's episode of uh, the Airship Italia. Um, our listener, Linda, in Sweden, so she knows what she's talking about, had a little correction. She's like, um, Svalbard isn't Sweden, it's Norway. <laughs> so, oopsies, sorry, we are aware those are two different countries. I just mixed that up. So thank you, Linda, for the correction. Um, Svalbard is Norway. Oh, okay. And uh, Sweden produces much better hockey players than Norway, so. Why do you think that is? That's interesting. I'm not sure. Because aren't they just like right by each other? I'm pretty sure. But uh, I mean, there are a few Norwegian players in the NHL, but there's uh, quite a few Swedes. That's very interesting. And they all get drafted by the Detroit Wed- Red Wings. Red Wings? Red Wings. <laughs> That's where I'm at today. <clears throat> uh, shout out to Zach, our Red Wings fan. Yes. Yeah. So, um, another title for this would be the St. Marcellus Floods. That's the more technical, I guess. Um, I think the way Masha put it was uh, Rungholt and the St. Marcellus Floods, which would also be a good one. Okay. Well, we'll we'll use that then. Yeah. Um, Now, based on that and the titling and knowing that Masha researched it, do you have any hint as to what this is about? I really don't. But okay. I'm guessing it has to do with that that part of the world, right? The n- sort of the European, Scandinavian, Nordic, uh, yeah, mm-hmm, area. part of the world. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is also going to be one of our more historic disasters, okay. as in time period. So, in 1362, wow, and okay. 1634, a pair of storm surges, 300 years apart known as the St. Marcellus Floods, hit the northwest coast of Germany, sinking the parish of Rungholt, killing thousands, and permanently changing the geography of the region. Each time? It's a... We'll get into it. Okay. All right. This is is interesting because it's a pair of very similar disasters that happened 300 years apart. But, like, the second one finished the job that the first one started. I sort see. Of thing, so. Sure. Um, this is this is definitely not a disaster I had ever heard of. In fact, Masha was like, oh, I want to, I'm starting research on this, but I want to make sure it's not already on your list or, or you haven't already started doing research on it. She's like, it's the 1362 flood in, in uh, um, 
<laughs> in like uh, what she 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 gave the name of the region and everything. I'm like, um, no, literally never heard of it. So she was doing the right thing by making sure I hadn't. But I'm like, no, no, Masha, see, I'm I'm a little stupid. <laughs> I don't know. Again, don't mean to. I don't mean to be too overly self-deprecating. Um, I, it's just one of those obscurities of history, I guess. Sure. You know? I've never heard of it. Further, there is not much English source information online. So I think... That's probably why. Yeah. Masha was able to... Well, first, because she's awesome and she's a great researcher, but she, I think she was also able to find a lot of sources I couldn't have because they were in German because this is where and, it happened. And, and be able to read them. Well, that, that would be the thing, right? <laughs> Maybe I could find them, but it wouldn't do me any good, right? Well, there's a translation tool on Google, right? Yes, but... Doesn't it work for everything? It It's it's better than Babelfish. Do you remember the early days? Did you ever I use Babelfish? Oh, my goodness. That is. So this is like early that, that internet. Could have, you could have told me that that was a disaster and I would have known <laughs> no different. So this was like... I don't, They might still be around, but this was like... Google Translate before Google Translate, but it was in the late 90s, I want to say, and they were laughably bad translations. And like, well, in the late 90s, we were still trying to figure out the kinks of the internet exactly. just overall. But this is how bored we used to get back in the day before <laughs> smartphones. We used to take English sentences, translate them into like Finnish or, or Swahili or something translate that into another language and then translate it all back into English and see how badly it is like a game of telephone right so that's children that's what we used to do back in the, back in my day when we were walked uphill both ways in the snow to school we used to entertain ourselves by translating things in babblefish anyway shout me out if you <laughs> did that or remember that at I'm all still waiting for your sponsorship too babblefish <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure they never made any money. Yeah. It was a very GeoCities looking uh-huh. website. I remember those? Well, if you're still around, hit us up. <laughs> anyway, and we have had a couple people reach out to us about this. If anyone else lives in another country, from another country, speaks another language, and has a disaster idea, but most of the sources are in that language, that a non-English language, because even though we should be multilingual, neither of us are. Um, we both just speak hey, I, English. So. I took French. I just forgot it all. No, you know, je m'appelle David. Mm-hmm. David. Yes. <laughs> Keller et Teal. <laughs> what does that mean? What time is it? <laughs> I'm sure it's pronounced, it's, it's, it's just like that. Keller et Teal. Et Teal. Et Teal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, but if you, if you do have a topic, but it's like, yeah, we can't really research it because of the lack of English sources. Please feel free, like Masha did, to do the research, and we will pass it along. So. And remember, if you do the research for us, you have a 150% chance of yes. getting on the podcast. <laughs> yes, yes. So this is obviously a very old disaster, not our oldest. We did no, cover Pompeii, not. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we're talking almost 700 years ago. So we'll start in our geography corner. Uh, but as Masha points out, because this disaster is so old... And because of the results of this disaster, there's been a lot of change in the geography of this region sure. in the first place yeah. due to storm tide erosion that has changed the coastline to the point where there used to be actual land and now it's like mudflats, tidal flats, hmm. it's mar- marshland kind of. 
um, wetlands instead of dry land. And Masha also did a really great job of describing where this area is. So I'm, I'm going to um, uh, verbally describe it, and I'll show you a map. Obviously, I would, I would show you all, too, but you're not going to be able to see it. So if you locate the city of Hamburg in Germany, so it's in the northernish part of Germany, but central east to west... And then if you head north, there's the border with Denmark, which I actually didn't know that that's where Denmark was. Yeah, if, if, I mean... I, I wouldn't have known. Like, it's it's to the north of Germany. I, I don't know. It's over um, there. It's over there. Well, and your nephew went there recently he for did. hockey stuff. So. Yes, he did. Um, to the west of this very north, sort of almost peninsular part of Germany uh, is the north... Frisian Wadden Sea, or my apologies, Masha, Nordfrisischen Wattenmere. Oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> the northern and northwestern coastal area of Germany is called Frisia. I hope that's pronouncing it right because I'm going to be saying it a lot. It is, that is definitely on Google Maps, and we will add it to our death map for sure. Um, now, apparently, this is only the generally accepted location. Sure. Of this disaster, again, there's not enough documentation to confirm it for sure, but this is the area that most archaeologists working in this area seem to agree upon as the actual site. Now here, I'll take their word for it. Yeah, we're gonna have a couple, a few <laughs> different maps to show here. So this is what we're gonna be working off of. Oh no, hold on, wrong one. This is the one we're gonna be working off of. Okay. And this is another one. You can. This is the one that uh, Masha passed on with a lot more um, crosses through the O's and amulets and such. <clears throat> All right. So the North Frisian Wadden Sea. All right. So in this area of the Wadden Sea, so that's in this general area here for you, um, there are several small islands, a peninsula called Nordstrand in the east, and the island Pellworm in the west. So... What you're looking at right now is what it probably looked like back when this disaster happened. You see that's Rungholt there? Mm -hmm. Well, this is what it looks like today, the same region. Yeah, there's a bit of a difference there. There's a lot more water there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's... Well, they kept the one name. Yeah. <laughs> Pellworm and Nordstrand. Um, and that would be like about here and here. Yep. Right? Okay. Uh, so between Nordstrand and Pellworm, to the southeast of Pellworm, is a teeny little marsh island called Sudfall. And I'm starting to describe this in such detail because Masha said not all of this is delineated on Google Maps. So if you look at this on Google Maps, it won't necessarily all be there named like this. So to the south of Sudfall is a tidal channel called the Heverstrom which was in existence back in 1362. So that's kind of like, and that's, that would be somewhere around here. So that's, um, see, see Sudfall there? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's just trying to orient with modern geography what it was like back then. So there's Heverstrom. That would be here today. Okay. Okay. Um, yes, everyone, <laughs> my apologies. You're just going to have to look this up. I'll also put these maps up on um, Facebook and Instagram as well. So 
right now, this is all like water and islands, right? But there was a lot more land back in the day with just a bunch of channels. Like, I'm not even sure. This Is this kind of like the Thousand Islands area-ish? Or is it? No. no because the Thousand Islands area is more like, like that. what it is yeah. today, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Outer Banks maybe a little-ish? Mm, no. Or maybe like the Delmarva. Probably oh, would be okay. the, with, uh, the, with just like it's more land than it is water, but there's a lot, a lot of, water. of marsh. Yeah, a lot of marsh running through it, basically. Um, so, uh, though that okay, so the channel Heverstrom to the south. Okay, this mainland used to be divided. So this um, this marshy area with way more land than there is now used to be divided into five administrative districts. One of which was Edamsharda, which today would have covered the entire area of Sudfall to the north and the entire surrounding area of water with the Heverstrom channel to the south. I hope um, if Masha is laughing at my pronunciation, she's at least having a good time. <laughs> so Edamshar in turn was divided into 15 parishes and the parishes were further divided into peasantries. So remember, we're talking 1362. It's like feudal Europe, basically. Um, the capital of Edamshar, I, I put <laughs> Edamshar, I think I did that like six times, was called Rungholt. So with, that's where the disaster took place and which no longer exists. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, for reasons we will get into. So, I flip the page. All right. So, uh, now that we know way more about uh, 14th century German geography than we ever thought we would, let's talk about what life was like in Rungholt. So, again, we're talking feudal Europe, and all inhabitants of Edamshard were direct subjects of the Danish king. I didn't delve enough into the history of, like, what, Denmark looked at this point. Look like at this point. Well, this, this area of Earth has changed hands, changed the landscape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally, the geographical landscape. So many times in the past, ever. Yeah, <laughs> all time. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If somebody wants to look up the, the the king of who the where Danish king the Danish king, <laughs> which, have, have at it. Which kind of sounds like. Um, Somebody who won a contest for eating the most pastries. I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> the Danish king. Like, it should be, like, a place where you get donuts. Yeah. <laughs> or the Polka King. I was thinking of uh, Home Alone. Yes. Uh, John Candy's <laughs> Polka 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 Twist. Yeah, that sold 500 <laughs> copies. It was our biggest hit. All right. So, Adam Sharda was under the Danish king, but... Because they were part of the Frisians of Utlandia, and yes, I realize this is all sounding very Game of Thrones, they kind of had their own civil code, so they weren't really under the same laws. So instead, they lived under Frisian law, which gave them a fair amount of autonomy. So technically, they're subjects of the Danish king, but they, they have sort of like a separate civil code, so they're a little more independent and autonomous. It's kind of like the relationship between China and Hong Kong until very recently. Right, yeah, a little more control coming up, yeah, and causing a lot of issues, too. So, Frisia had enough political and legal clout that they could enter into their own contracts. So, they ha now this will become pertinent in a minute. Um, 
Edamshard was a very wealthy district, and despite its relative legal and political independence, it um, had a very high sales tax because Edamsharda had to pay twice as much taxes to Denmark as the surrounding areas, so as the other districts. Uh, it always comes back to taxes, you know. Um, Edamsharda was located behind the first continuous dike system along the entire Frisian North Sea coast. Now, um, I'm going to go ahead and continue with the word levy, uh, just because of language peculiarities here in the States. The term dike, which does absolutely mean a levy, same difference, right? Um, generally isn't used much in... Uh, regular conversation because it's been used as a pejorative term for members of the LGBTQ plus community as well. And, uh, in like, uh, Katrina and stuff, it's always called a levy, right? As opposed to a dike per se. You look like you're falling asleep. You okay no, there? I'm, no, okay. I'm like, uh, <laughs> we had dikes where I grew up. They, they were called dikes yeah. too? Okay. Maybe I'm just being overly sensitive. Levy, yes. dike, call it, okay. You can call it whatever you a like. dike but. levy. They called it that? Like they no, used no, no, both? no. I was, I was just saying. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> um, so the first of these levees or dikes was built back in the 11th century. So the 1000s, I guess. Um, but because of lots of help from experienced levee builders or dike builders in the Netherlands, they gradually connected all these levees, closing them into a circle by the end of the 13th century in a formation known as the Golden Ring. Because we couldn't get more games, Game of Thrones. <laughs> so these levees helped protect this area from flooding, as levees generally do when they do work, obviously. So most of the these dikes were two meters or six and a half feet high. So we're not talking like some massive levee. It's about the height of a tall person. Mm-hmm. Um, most houses that were built behind these levees were built on fortified areas called settlement dwellings that were higher than the levees. So there was a levee and then everyone's uh, property was built up even higher, about three meters or, or nine-ish feet high to protect people, houses, belongings, livestock um, from the occasional flood. Because even though these levees were there, obviously the levees were there for a reason because this area was prone to flooding, very marshy, very um, wetland sort of. Uh, So they had like two systems basically to protect from flooding. The initial levees and then if the levees flooded, uh, they were up on these uh, elevated settlement dwellings. So because of this effective water control, the area was well irrigated, which made it really good for. Oh, well irrigated. (laughs) Just (laughs) Just don't include me this morning, please. Just continue on. Sorry for agriculture. (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course. Well, good irrigation equals good agriculture and also peat cutting. Okay. So peat is like decaying vegetation. That is generally dried and used as fuel, so that makes it valuable. Uh, but the peat grown in Edamsharda was different. It was salt peat. So because of all the flooding in the area, the ground was constantly soaked with salt water, and that's how it became salt peat. So salt was very valuable, obviously, 
because of its ability not only to make food taste better. You're a big fan of salt, I know. I am. <laughs> um, but because it was used in food preservation too, right? So, and you need a bunch of salt to preserve even just a little bit of food. So a large amount of salt was very valuable. Now, <laughs> this is pretty interesting. At that particular time, the average per capita salt consumption was 20 pounds per year. That seems like a lot. It is a lot. So if you con uh, contrast that to what the CDC recommends today for salt consumption, they recommend less, a little less than two pounds a year. Okay. So ten times that. So here's some pictures of the peat cutting process. Process. Um, so the peasants of Edamshard pressed the ashes of the peat into blocks then took them to boiling houses in the trading center of the district, which was Rungholt. The ashes were put into funnel devices where they were soaked in seawater, and then they used eggs to tell when the ashes were ready for the next step in the process. So they would crack an egg into this water, and if the raw egg floated in the brine, then it was time to boil the resulting liquid in large iron pans where the water would evaporate, leaving the salt behind. So that was the process. Very, I, how they figured it out, I don't know. Like everything, we don't know how they. We, we, do <laughs> how we, we don't know how anybody lived. <laughs> even even two hundred years ago, much less seven hundred. <laughs> exactly. Um, it took one ton of peat to make twenty five kilograms or fifty five pounds of salt. Okay, that seems a little disproportional, but <laughs> well, because you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, they were trying to get the the salt that had naturally absorbed out. So yeah, the salt was then transported to the waterways, where it was traded, generally using flat boats because flat boats were uh, or flat bottom boats, right, were well suited to the low levels of the Wadden Sea, and which could be beached in on ports during low tide, and that made loading and unloading them a lot easier. Now, obviously, this made trade very important in Adam Sharda. Well, and that's kind of silly to say because trade was important everywhere. Trade still is important everywhere. It is kind of what makes the world go around, so to speak. So merchant guilds had political seats in the town. And remember, this area was also able to negotiate its own contracts, independent of Denmark. So there was a lot of negotiation regarding the right of way of ships in this area. And Edam Sharda had contracts with Flanders, which is essentially like the northern part of Belgium, that guaranteed trade routes. Um, in June 1361, they drew up a deed that gave trade security to residents of Hamburg until May 1st, 1362, so about a year. This, again, will become pertinent in a, in a bit. So, in addition to peat, people in Rungholt grew spelt and barley, which was eaten as bread or porridge, and other important foods included beer, um, which we're not drinking this morning. No, we're not, sadly. <laughs> um, beans, cheese, and meat. And because the area was well off, there was a lot of meat consumption, which was considered more shishi than seafood at the time. Seafood was actually considered kind of like peasant's food, mm. which is in contrast to today. Where, yeah, it's the other yeah, way around. At least here, yeah, exactly. Um they ate a lot of marrow from bones of um, animals, which was highly nutritious, and they even fed it to their dogs. So basically, like everyone was doing pretty good. 
Now, that was in the heyday of Runghole, when things were going well. Before the Middle Ages, when things took a little bit of a downturn for the area, So there was natural climate change in certain parts of the Northern Hemisphere that led to widespread drought during the Middle Ages, followed by heavy precipitation that made crops rot. So agriculturally dependent areas, which are most areas at this time, but like Edamsharda, were hard hit by famine. And also at this time of history, the, uh, who was it, the Danish king? Uh-huh. The Danish king uh, still thought at this time that uh, climate change was blamed on the Chinese. <laughs> Fake the Chinese, news. The Chinese hoax, even Fake in uh, 13, whatever, right. 62. Well, there. so the, this is the thing, that there are natural patterns of climate change that we had well, in Ice Age, and that yeah. was well before industrialization. Um, I should say, you know, that it's it was, this is all well before global warming, which is what is completely unnatural in that we are um, doing to the earth. We really should cover it one day, but talk about a can of worms. Yeah, that's way too big of a topic Yeah, that we know nothing about. (laughs) Yeah, but we know nothing about uh, Rungholt either. It's a little easier to explain than climate change. (laughs) Well, if Al Gore can do it. But he did invent the internet, too. He did, yeah. Uh, so then, after there was some famine and some not-so-great things happening with the weather, a little thing called the Black Plague <laughs> hit oh, Europe. Oh, yeah. And, oh, Did we, we do that? We no, have we not. have not. We absolutely we not. will. We absolutely will. That's going to be one of our heavy hitter topics, right? Uh, in more ways than one <laughs> heavy hitter. Uh, so that was in the mid-14th century, mid-1300s. It wiped, about a, wiped out about half the population of Europe. So imagine one in two people basically died of this. Mm-hmm. So, so because of all this, things were not looking so great in Rungholt compared to its uh, salad days of agriculture and eating marrow and all that stuff. So there was a little bit of a rebound in the area. They were starting to come back. But by the time of our disaster in 1362, Rungholt had definitely seen better days. And then further, leading up to June 1362... Did I get that date right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the weather wasn't great either. So there had been an unusually warm period followed by a sudden and unusually cold period. So the weather was getting really volatile. It was just kind of like a literal perfect storm sort of situation. So on June 14th, 1362, an intense storm system developed over the Atlantic Ocean and moved over Ireland through the south of England. Wind gusts were so strong that thousands of trees were downed and buildings were completely destroyed. Now, we're talking 1300s era houses. There There was no steel back then. Right, exactly. But, well, there I was mean, steel, but <laughs> right. people were making houses out of it. Exactly. This is pre-industrial revolution. You yeah. Know that. yeah. Um, obviously, tall buildings suffered the most damage, and there weren't all that many tall buildings because, again, we're talking about 1300s. A, t- a tall building meaning it was a story high. Right, right, or two stories high, yeah, exactly. Um, but... Uh, things like spires on cathedrals. Oh, well, you know, yeah, that's true. Uh, were easy targets for the wind. The wooden spire of the Norwich Cathedral in Norwich, Norfolk, England, was blown down and into the cathedral, which caused major damage to a large portion of the church, which is still standing, by the way. Like the, the church, obviously, it had to be repaired, but it is still there because 
that blows our mind here in the States that there are structures like hundreds or even thousands of years old because we don't really have that here. No, we don't. We'll see something that's a hundred years old and go, wow, that's so old. <laughs> so this, the storm destroyed the English coastal town of Dunwich, uh, plunging much of it underwater. So there was kind of another little lost city sort of thing. Ruins from this period in Norwich, or sorry, Dunwich, Dunwich, I'm thinking it's Dunwich. I don't think the W's are pronounced like Greenwich, right? Yeah. Were located 200 meters or 129 yards, or sorry, 219 yards ov- off, <sighs> reset, off the coast of modern-day Dunwich. So that shows the previous coastline of the town was a solid, like... A couple hundred six, yards out. Seven, 700 feet, yeah, out of where it is now. So the storm carried on from England northeast toward Denmark. And so it looked like it was headed towards Denmark, but then it changed its course in a little bit more of a southward direction, and that put it straight on track for the Frisian coast. So on January 15th, around 3 p.m. local local time, four hours into the rising tide, which um, Masha did give me more information on, um, high tide was at 5 p.m., low tide at 11 p.m., and then high tide at 5 a.m. So it was like every six hours. Yeah, every sure. six hours. Yeah. That makes sense. I do not know how tides work. I know it has something to do with the moon. It does. That's um, about, all, about all I know, too. <laughs> So it was four hours into the rising tide because it would have been 11 a.m. So it's so it's gaining on high tide. Uh, inhabitants became aware of the coming storm surge. So they started seeing that um, the water was getting a lot higher than just normal t- getting towards high tide. Oh, I just realized it's Tuesday, isn't it? <laughs> if you guys hear lawn maintenance in the background, sorry. Um, hopefully we'll get through this fast enough. Uh, so they saw that, that the water was getting pretty high and in general, they weren't too worried because storms were normal here. That's why they had the levees and everything. Um, and storm surge was also normal. So everyone just planned to take their stuff, their livestock and themselves to high ground on these settlement areas. Right. Cause that was the whole sure. point of them. That was the plan. Right. And then they would just ride it out. So by 5 p.m. that day, it was high tide plus the storm surge, and it was all pounding against the levees. And fortunately, because of the bad times that Rongholt had fallen on recently, the um, the levees hadn't really been well kept. So they were they were probably a little weak to begin with, plus the strong winds and waters were really beating up these levees. So we know where this is going, right? So the storm continued throughout the night and into the next day. So this is, at this point, carrying on into a 24-hour um, storm, and it can just continued to strengthen. And it lasted another 24 hours into the evening of the 17th, so it just kept going. This just wow. pounded this area. And eventually, the water rose above the levees um, about 2.4 meters, or almost 8 feet, over the levees. So if we add it all up, and I don't know if it's exact, but um, the water would have been somewhere around 4.4 meters or 14 and a half feet. So it's pretty that's high. pretty high. Yeah. Um, now that was obviously over the height of the settlement areas, right? The 3 meters or 9 feet. Uh, 
And so the settlement areas started to flood too. The backup system to the levees started to fail because of just the sheer volume of water. And people had no choice to but to flee to their attics and roofs. Does that sound familiar? Yes, it does. Very Katrina-esque, huh? <coughs> and in what should be a shock to no one at this point, the levees eventually broke in 21 separate places. So they just collapsed. The extensive irrigation system below ground and the peat cutting in the region had done a lot to lower the ground level in an already marshy area. So as a result, a huge portion of the region was just completely flooded. So we're back and through the power of podcasting. Everyone's probably wondering, what do you mean, Rachel? Well, I mean, it's like, what, eight hours later? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we took a little break. Because of the uh, the landscaping the going on <laughs> outside, so um, in all just literally going outside, right outside our window yes. for a good fifteen twenty minutes. So yes. we just decided that oh, we'll get back to it later. Yes. So David's had a little nap at this point, <laughs> getting ready to go back into work. Life is just so odd right now. <laughs> um, all right. So back to the story. Large portion of the region underwater. So <clears throat> then, in the words of Masha, quote, something even worse happened, end quote. So great. How could this get worse, right? Like the, this place is almost completely flooded out. So unbeknownst to the residents of Rungholt, the ground deep beneath the Wadden Sea was something called a moraine. So a moraine is an area where the topography has been influenced by glaciers and glacial debris. Um, so, uh, specifically under Rungholt during the Ice Age, melting water from glaciers wiped away the solid foundation okay. over time, obviously, sure. but not right away, um, forming trenches, and then the trenches filled with sediment of sand and clay. So, except for what is currently standing today in the North Frisian Wadden Sea, the entire area was built on these trenches. So another way of looking at it was that this whole area was literally built on sand. Ah. Right? So it's just naturally going to erode over time. Or through flooding. Yeah. yeah a flooding Certainly event. Certainly through that. Mm -hmm. uh, so after several days of rain and flooding, the soft foundation under Rungholt gave way and began to sink. Well, yeah, because there's nothing, <clears throat> there's nothing really to hold in the ground. Right, there's not a, it's not a foundation. So yeah, it just literally started to sink, and it buried the capital city of Rungholt like Atlantis. Wow. So yeah, a literal sunken city. Uh, a total of thirty parishes in a hundred thousand acres of cultivated land literally just vanished into the ocean. Uh, and this this event became known as. Grota Mandrenka, or the Great Drowning of Men. Okay. So that's all horrible, but we're not quite done. Remember, this is the story of the floods, plural. So 300 years after this flood in 1634, overnight from October 11th to October 12th, 1634, another horrible storm surge occurred in the Widen Sea. Uh, and that like basically did the rest of the area in. So anything that had been still around uh, or not completely underwater 
in this region, that's what sealed the deal, was this second flood several hundred years later. And that formed the current shape of the Frisian coast. And now this storm, unlike the first one where they saw the storm surge coming, this one literally came out of the blue. It was a nice sunny day, and then just all of a sudden the storm surge came, so it surprised everybody. So as for the body count in this, in these disasters, this pair of disasters, it's obviously difficult to ascertain because it was so long ago. Record keeping was really poor, um, especially the first flood. We're talking 14th century. So the only direct information about Rungholt's demise during the first flood was written not until 1437. It's so like 100 years okay. later. Uh, the, and it's a document that lists the losses during the storm. And then there's a stone inscribed in Latin that says, Rungholta submersa, which I would imagine means Rungholt submerged or submerged Rungholt. So apparently some records have put the death toll of the entire North Sea coast in that first flood as 100,000. Wow. Um, but as Masha put it, and this was really funny, you need to take that number with a grain of peat salt. <laughs> very good. Very, very, a very Rachel joke there. Well done, Masha. <clears throat> um, there's not even documentation of the population of the parish of Rungholt back then. So uh, estimates are between 500 and 10,000, but most likely at least above 1,000. So basically it's yeah, a giant question Yeah, that's the thing. When we, when we do these older, like mm -hmm. meaning going back more than like 300 years yeah. there's really recorded history gets really shaky gets a little uh muddy yes at best i mean not like <laughs> muddy, get it here oh well yeah <laughs> but um not that there was not documentation of certain things at that time but i mean really was was anybody really trying to keep track of right I mean, people at that point in time, I think, are just trying to survive because they're going to live till 35 right. if they're lucky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Pretty much. So, yeah. I think you're right. There's there's nobody doing a census in, what's the name, Grunholt? What's Rungholt. Rungholt mm -hmm. in 1362. And 1662 and 1634, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those years, they're not doing them. Uh-huh. Exactly. So... Suffice it to say, it was probably more than a thousand, but less than a hundred thousand. Sure, that's a giant ballpark figure. Who knows? What we do know is that obviously people did die. Yes, and we actually have more information about the second flood. Okay, it's known that at least six thousand inhabitants died in that second flood. Okay, so we're talking a minimum seven thousand between those two floods. So that's why I said in the in the introduction thousands and that just sort of put it that way because there's there's no way to know for sure um <clears throat> so uh after the second flood in the area so this was after the 1634 flood pastor anton heimrich or heimreich wrote the north frisian chronicles in which he spoke of rungholt he said and let me know if this sounds familiar that the inhabitants of rungholt brought the floods on themselves, their sinful arrogance and disrespect of God's gift called the caused the disaster. Okay. So isn't it super fun when people decide that what God is doing and why, um, and especially when they call other people arrogant? 
I'm like, hey, I know what God was thinking. You're arrogant. <laughs> you know? Don't you mean ignorant? No, arrogant. Arrogant means you know, you think you know everything. Well, sure. So imagine. Well, I, or I guess it could be both. Imagine this. calling someone arrogant because God revealed to you that that was the case. I mean, that's the, the definition guess. of arrogance. It's yeah. all hypocrisy. Um, he claimed that the people of Rungholt would had. So when they were building the levees, when they were building the dikes, after they finished building them, they would they had a ritual of going up to the top of the dike and saying, "Sorry, Masha, um, trots new Blanca Hans," and uh, that. So Blanca means shiny or bare, and Hans is a diminutive of Johan. Oh, so yeah. basically, per Masha, this saying would sort of be translated like, I double dare you, motherfucker. Oh, okay. Like they were challenging the levees to break. So, uh, so yeah. Additionally, the people of Rungholt were known for being pretty hard partiers, apparently. Supposedly, legendarily. So here's a, a rather apocryphal story. Supposedly, one Christmas Eve, a bunch of guys made a pig drunk at a tavern, uh, put a nightcap. Now, this is this is pre-flood, just so we're clear. Sure. Uh, put a nightcap cap on its head and put it in a box, and then they called for a priest to give it communion. So they were, like, um, playing a prank on a priest, I guess. I okay. don't know. The priest was horrified. And the men filled the box at the church altar, normally filled with bread, with beer, saying that it was so God could have a drink with them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the priest then asked God to punish the wicked inhabitants of Rungholt. Oh, well, of course. And, of course, God contacted him in his dream that night, uh, gave him a vision to get out of Rungholt, and then, of course, the floods came. So how very Christ like to uh, to ask for people to die and then for God to acquiesce. He's he's a lovely chap. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> sure. If, get out of there and I'll drown I, them I'm, all. I'm positive there are more examples of God being an asshole than there are of him being like a uh, like a, benevolent, a loving benevolent, benevolent being. So, uh, so if you're listening, yeah. God, I think you're an asshole. <laughs> all right, then. <laughs> So obviously, this is all bullshit. God did not reveal himself to this priest. Like, I'm sorry, you're either a liar or a hallucinator, little person. But um, sorry to tell anyone, but if there is a God, he, she, it doesn't work like that. Otherwise, Trump would have been struck down by lightning (laughs) and like a gigantic fireball a long time ago. Well, that depends on your point of view, because trust me, there are millions of people who thought he was appointed by God. But here's the interesting thing. Every person has a different idea of who's evil. So nobody's right. Exactly. And nobody's wrong. Sure. In other words, you can't prove or disprove the existence of God, which is the exact definition of a pseudoscience. Yeah. Just saying. How did so, we get? How did we get here again? <laughs> <clears throat> well, because a- anyway, um, because of the Jagoff priest. <laughs> yeah, because it's 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 such bullshit that like I, I just it, it's a Rachel hashtag Rachel rants um, that I just have a really hard time with people saying. Well, we ran into this in the the HIV and AIDS episodes, right? That oh, it's yeah. God's judgment mm-hmm. that God is punishing people. the The thing that just absolutely gets me is that it's really shitty human beings 
saying that they know what God is thinking. And first of all, if there even is a God, the like the whole thing is that he works in mysterious ways, right? For a lot of like Christian and Christian based religions. Mm -hmm. So if you think you know what he's thinking, aren't you like the biggest asshole of all? If he works in mysterious ways, like it's just so horror, like just terrible logic. I have a problem with bad logic. And that is really bad logic to just say, I don't know. He does shit sometimes. That makes more sense than to say, oh, it's his judgment here. Oh, but it wasn't his judgment over here. That was just, he just let that happen. That was his imperfect will versus perfect will. It's people trying to bullshit their way through explaining things so that they can either keep their little fragile belief system or so they can keep their control over other people through their belief system. Or both, which is what it usually is. Yeah, possibly. Um, As opposed to just being honest and being like, I don't know, I just believe that there's a God and he loves me. You say that? Hey, fine. No problem. Yeah. But don't go trying to justify everything that happens. You shouldn't have to. That's the whole point of faith. Nor you should never have to feel like you have to prove it. Nor should you feel like other people should be convinced because they're proof. there's proof. Because you know what? There's not. So, anyway. And <laughs> Rachel Rant. <laughs> All right. So, apparently, a lot of people like and liked making maps of the imagining of the sunken city of Ringholt. Rungholt. Sorry. I'm changing the name now. Um, and I now know exactly what we need to commission, actually. Oh to yeah, do, right? there you go. Yeah, yeah. We we've been talking about wanting to get a commission actually to do a map, and that would be really cool. That would be it? cool. So, <clears throat> the true story, as well as the legend of Rungholt, continued for centuries through poetry and other literary works, and eventually, like it became the first flood, at least became known as a legend. Pretty much, like people thought of Rungholt like they thought of Atlantis. It sort of became lost to history, and people didn't actually think it was real for a while. Okay, isn't that most? Well, I, well, I guess it was I so mean, long if, ago yeah. now, right? Imagine all the stuff we don't know used to be there. Oh my God, there's in there's the world, so, you know? so much. Um, for all we know, there could have been an Atlantis. We've just never found right? it. Right, right. Um, it's like the Loch Ness monster, right? Maybe there is something in there. Not a monster. It's an animal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a, a matter of figuring it out and proving it. I'm not saying I specifically believe in the Loch Ness Monster. I'm just saying. Um, so I, I know what the Loch Ness Monster is supposedly. What? It's a plesiosaur. Oh, that's one of those, uh, well, obviously aquatic dinosaurs are yes. in Loch Ness. It's uh, it's basically like, a, like imagine a, a brontosaurus with uh, like flappers instead okay. of feet. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking yeah. about. Very long neck, because yes. that's how it's portrayed. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Well, and cryptozoology is interesting in that way because it's fun. I mean, it's just it is you know, fun, and we take don't it with know, a grain of salt. Remember when they discovered like anglerfish and stuff in the bottom of the oh, ocean? Yeah. Those things look made up. They do. So there's who knows what's out there. We can't have discovered absolutely everything. We have not been. We have not been everywhere on Earth. Right. Yeah, there we we have just recently, like in the past ten years, um, for the first time, discovered tribes that have never mm, made contact outside of their tribe. Yeah, and they have like, never <clears throat> have never been introduced to like how we see the modern world. They've mm, just had their same way of life for, for forever. Right. So so yeah. they didn't know that we were around, and Ex- we didn't know they were around. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So who knows? Maybe there is a Loch Ness monster, a chupacabra. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Bigfoot? A Jersey Devil. <laughs> <laughs> So, in 1921, a farmer and map-drawing enthusiast, so that was convenient, named Andreas Busch built a sluice at his farm. Do you know what a sluice is? I, I don't have to look know. it up. So, it's like a water channel that's controlled by a gate. Oh, okay. Sure. Um, in doing so, he unearthed the ruins of a Rungholt church. So, he oh. actually started finding some of the actual ruins of Rungholt. So, so, so he was also a slash archaeologist. Yeah, he became kind of an enthusiast about this. And he was like, okay, I'm because obviously Rungholt was a legend. And he was like, hey, maybe this is real. And so he set about like trying to find the ru- rest of the ruins of Rungholt. He studied maps. He talked to locals. And he finally started finding some more remnants of the city near Sudfall. He became convinced that he found the port of Rungholt. Um, but the scientists of the day were skeptical because they thought Rungholt was just fake. It was all a sure. myth. So, uh, for one thing, Rungholt can't itself, specifically Rungholt, can't be even be found on maps from the centuries leading up to the flood. So there wasn't much documentation of like, oh, look, we can't even find references to this. This sure. is all verbal um, or oral history. So this, we don't think that even happened, and. Uh, the maps that were in existence prior to the flood actually had some markings in topography that w- would have been dependent, or so this would have been after. Okay, <laughs> this, is, this is really confusing. So maps that were drawn right after Rungholt showed the... I don't know what I'm saying. Never mind. <laughs> Basically, people didn't believe it. I'm I'm not able to put this sentence together. People didn't think it was right. Anyway. So, apparently, and I say apparently because this sounds super legendary, but there is some evidence to support it. Uh, near the end of World War II, a British pilot was shot down over the North Sea, um, and he was able to make his way to the Wadden Sea and to the coastline. Uh, while he was there, he found a clay ocarina. Which is this thing. Okay. Do you know what an ocarina is or an ocarina? I don't. I just know it was uh, the title of a Legend of Zelda. Yes. Game. Do you remember what the ocarina was in of the time? Yeah. In, uh, in the I, game. I, don't, I never played it. It's like a, a flute like instrument. Oh, sort okay. Of. Like a not flute. It's like shell shaped or something and you blow into it. Anyway, it's like a crude early flute or recorder sure. type instrument. So. So this is why it sounds like a legend. <laughs> Supposedly, this pilot <clears throat> found this ocarina, sat on the on the ground, and played the instrument. <laughs> then a countess living on the island of Sudfall heard the music and found him, and then she let him stay with her for a while, which was very controversial at the time because she was single. And when he finally returned to Britain, he left the ocarina with her. It just sounds really yeah. excised, right? Well, whatever. The dude got shot down. He can make up whatever he wants. Now, apparently, that that is the ocarina, so it was sure. a real artifact. But um, so after, so he's like, he's like, this will make the papers. <laughs> so fast forward a bit. After centuries of Rungholt seeming to be a legend, proof of its existence has been found in more modern times. So. Now we know that it's not a legend. It really happened. 
One piece of evidence is the 1345 document that mentioned Rungholt that I remember I said before. I don't know if we remember it's eight hours ago. Um, There was a document. Yes, I I do. (laughs) And an inscribed stone. Anyway, those were Actually, yes, I do remember that. Yeah. Yep. And and the document included... Rungholt, like mention of Rungholt, its location, its importance regarding trading contracts, and the deed that I mentioned, the 1361 deed with Hamburg. So that was like actual historical documentation found proving that Rungholt did exist. And eventually when the area was surveyed, buildings in the area around Sudfall were discovered. So un- underwater, as well as Rungholt's likely location. These are like aerial pictures of that general area. I'm not sure what of exactly, but anyway, it's interesting. Um, Masha, it's yeah, a piece, so. Sure. Um, the legendary ocarina was rediscovered, but it was actually determined not have to have been from a region or period that would have fit in with Rungholt. So who knows where it's from? It's just an interesting story, I guess. Other artifacts were found like uh, burned food and pots and bones. Um, and that's how they determine the information about the residents and their dogs and the marrow and oh, okay. all that stuff. So, Andreas Bush, uh, the farmer who believed the legendary Rungholt was real when no one else did, noticed that sea levels were rising again in his time and began measuring the sea level every five years. And he asked his descendants to carry on doing this. And to this day, the sea level is measured every five years per his request, and the data is written on the back of his tombstone. Oh, okay. And Interesting. that is the story of the lost city of Rungholt, Rungholt, and the St. Marcellus floods, you name it, whatever. I'll figure out what to call this episode but <laughs> all that stuff <laughs> another very interesting story thank you masha interesting and historic like the, yeah. the background is very interesting it's i feel i feel felt like with um uh the airship italia and this story they're almost like legendary sounding you can understand why people thought well, this one more so because it yeah. t- it's so much longer ago there is documentation of right. uh what was the airship called again? Italia. Italia. Mm-hmm. There is plenty of documentation oh, yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, that yeah. was in the days of newspapers and all sorts yeah, of Yeah, sure. And radio and, years ago, and yeah. vast com- and, uh, broad communication. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I remember when I was a little kid, mm-hmm. I wanted to be an archaeologist or like mm-hmm. paleontologist. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older, I'm like, okay, so you go to school for all these years, spend all this money, and maybe you'll find something. <laughs> Like, like yeah. there's, there's no guarantee. And I mean, I still watch all that stuff on like discovery mm-hmm. channel and, and those things. And they all say, and there's that one uh, paleontologist that I follow on Twitter. Mm-hmm. They they all say the same thing. They're like, you, for every good find you make, you've done like thousands yes. of hours of digging. It's, there's yes. no, like the, the payoff is so small, mm-hmm. you know, but, but the, you have to, you have to love it. And the payoff is amazing when it's found. Sure, absolutely. You, I mean, you could be the person who proves the yeah. existence of Atlantis, for example, mm-hmm. or something like that. But it's true, because I have to admit that, like, if I saw, if I see, like, a, an archaeologist or a paleontologist or a geologist or something on um, 
like being interviewed for something or, oh, I wrote this paper, I submitted this paper. It's like, oh, oh, yes, they're very, you know, learned and scholarly or whatever. But the times that I've heard of like, oh, yeah, my boyfriend's studying paleontology, (laughs) my eyes roll so far back into my head because my first thought is you are a man child and you need to fucking grow up and get a real job. Um, that is a real job. It is. That's the thing. Is it's so? <laughs> I'm I'm pointing out my own hypocrisy in it. I guess is what I'm saying. It. it although I, to be honest, I kind of feel that way about academia in general. But um, it, it's true. There are people who really do that, and they're not just like I want to be a paleontologist when I grow up. They're actually um, doing this work and finding these artifacts and uncovering these amazing stories, including. The geography of this, who knows what's underwater? Like, as oh, far yeah. as lost cities and whatever. Well, I mean, we've or been... Or uh, Pompeii and shit. I mean, we've been to the moon, but we've yet to go to the bottom of any ocean. Yeah. So, we haven't been to the depths of our own Earth, but we've been on another celestial... Well, what is it? They always throw out a statistic that, like, you know, X percent of our oceans are unexplored, and it's just a massive amount. I mean, I... I think I want to say I want to say we've sent like submersibles to the bottom. Yes. Maybe that's where they found the angler fish right. and stuff. Yeah, but to like the bottom, bottom. Right. Because um, like, I watched this thing like James Cameron. Yes. Uh, yes. He invented and his little, a whole yeah. Little, um, personal submarine. Yeah, but I don't think yes. I don't think a person has been to the bottom. No, I don't I think could be you wrong. can because I'm not I sure think can of the either. pressure. Yeah, they'll, they fi- they'll they figure it out. Yet. They'll yeah. figure it out someday. Mm-hmm. But. uh yeah, I mean, the, I'm fascinated by all this, but mm-hmm. you couldn't pay me to do it. Yeah. And then again, you couldn't pay them to do it either because <laughs> I don't think they get fucking paid very much. Well, they have to get secure funding and oh, grants, yeah, grants and stuff. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's a hard one. Exploration is a hard sell because it's like of all the research that needs to be done, and there's a lot of research that needs to be done, medical research like saving people's lives in the now would seem to be important but i also think that history and understanding history is incredibly important too absolutely especially studying the earth itself because Mm -hmm. most of the time that it's going to eventually repeat itself right cycles of the earth right or learn something that might contribute to technology i mean if if we if somebody learns something one day about the the earth that could prevent or reverse or um, slow down climate change, that would be hugely valuable. So, But climate change is just a Chinese hoax, so that's never happening. You already said that joke I know. in this episode. I did. <laughs> Eight earlier hours today. ago. <laughs> yes, I said it earlier today. For you listeners at home, it was 20 minutes ago. <laughs> But for me, it was eight hours ago. <laughs> you slept overnight during the day already. I did. <laughs> So, yeah, thank you again, Masha. That that was great. And and guess what I got from her today? What's that? Another script. She's already oh, done yeah. another one. <laughs> then, you, then you get a Netflix password, and you get a Netflix password. <laughs> um, and I still have several from Michelle that she contributed. And, yeah, people are really keep, awesome. Keep, keep them coming, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I've just been in a really lazy mode lately. You have been a little bit. <laughs> so, there's there's one that I, I will tease right now that I really want to do. Mm. I think will be, well, not for everybody, obviously, but I, it's fascinating to me. I think it'll be fascinating to a lot of people. And I think it certainly fits in the, uh, the, the vein of our show. 
because it is a fucking disaster. You said it might be a multi-part. It might event? be. We'll we'll or see. Or mega soda. Or it's it's a, it will at the very least be a mega soda, I would think. And what other hints did you give me? You said it happened in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. Um, and happened over a period of time. Yes, it did. Mm, very and intriguing. And it's still happening. Still happening. Okay. All right. So to throw those uh, juicy tidbits out yeah, to our yeah, those are good hints to our audience. Yep. And it's it's not climate change because oh, I think okay. I think a lot well, of people, that happens worldwide too. <laughs> yes. It's not just the U.S. I don't know. I don't understand the science. If we ever do a climate change thing, we'll have a uh, we'll have Jason and Chad over, and they can explain it. Oh, you know what? I think I think we should maybe for like our. If we make it to five years, how about that? Because by then we'll probably be living out <laughs> more of the consequences. We already had the hottest July on record. That's true. On the earth. So, yeah. But you're right. We do know people who could contribute to that. Absolutely. That's yes. a good, good topic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, again, another fantastic episode. Another uh, great story. Um, I guess we're going to go with the St. Marcellus Floods. Or, I get, or Rungholt and the St. Marcellus Floods. Rungholt and the St. Marcellus Floods. Yeah, that, I think that's, that's what we'll go with. All right. Of course, the lost city of Rungholt is also very... I kind of like that. <laughs> that's got like a bit of a, you know, it's like Raiders of the Lost. Well, that's like, yeah, a, there's sort of the, the clinical version and the sensational version. Yeah, the sensational is more fun. The lost city of Rungholt. Uh, nobody from Rungholt is going to be upset. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.